We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Continue our journey through the Old Testament. Uh, we'll have a Christmas study on Sunday morning. And if you can come Sunday night, that'd be super cool. Um, bring a, a, like Henry said, a gift wrapped up. And we'll have a lot of fun together. For so, those of you who might be new, it'd be really cool uh, to get to know you. And so invite your friends and we'll see what the Lord does. But here in 1 Kings 21, um, we have a, a really amazing story about uh, Naboth and Ahab and Elijah and Jezebel. Because look what you read, it says in verse 1, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard which was in Jezreel next to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And so Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house, and for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house sullen and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. Now, more than likely, uh, teachers tell us that um, King Ahab and maybe Jezebel, they had like a palace uh, near Jezreel. It was kind of like a summer palace. And because uh, we know that this city is 20 miles away from the capital of Israel, that is Samaria. And so um, they're there kind of like in their summer palace. And, uh, and, and one day uh, Ahab is walking and he sees a sweet spot of land. It's a vineyard. Uh, it's owned by a man. We, we read right here his name is Naboth. And so when Ahab visualizes it, he sees it as a perfect place for him to have his own vegetable garden. And so what he does is he talks to Naboth and he says, Naboth, you, you know who I am, right? I'm the king, right? And I'm the king of Israel. And I got to tell you this, man, your vineyard would make a perfect place for me to have a vegetable garden. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I won't just take it from you like I, I probably should, but I'll, I'll pay you fair market value or I'd even be willing to trade you for a vineyard that's way better than the one that you already have. You know, and, and, and Ahab, you know, thinks that this is going to be his. He's totally got his heart set on it. Um, he doesn't really see what's coming next. It just blindsides him. It floors him to hear the word that Naboth was about to hear is something that kings don't usually hear. Some people don't like to hear the word no. <laughs> no. I know that's what you want. I know that's what you think. But, but, but no, that, I, I, I can't do that. Naboth says right there, look again in verse 3, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. You know, to Naboth, it was a real simple issue. He couldn't sell the land because if he did, he'd be going against the law of the Lord. And so the, the Lord forbid it. I can't do it. I know maybe it doesn't make sense to you or you or you, but it's the law of the Lord. 
You know, in Numbers chapter 36 and verse 7, the Bible says, The inheritance of the children of Israel shall not change hands from tribe to tribe, for every one of the children of Israel shall keep the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. You know, and this was kind of one of the ways that God would protect the poor people. Imagine, you guys, if you inherited the land, you know, we came into the United States of America, and this is your land, your clan, your tribe, your area, and, uh, and, you know, rather than the rich people coming and taking it from you one day when you find yourself in financial straits, that would never happen. You would always have the land. It was yours. It was a great way, one of God's civil laws in the nation of Israel, to keep that land in the family. And so, you know, the king thinks, well, I'm going to have it. Naboth says, I'm sorry, it's not, it's not biblical. There's another passage, Leviticus 25, 23, the land shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine, God says, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And so Ahab wanted the land permanently and Naboth said no. You know, I think that guys with money and, you know, I don't know really what it's like out there. Imagine what it'd be like to have money. You probably think everything's for sale. Anyone's for sale. But not everybody's for sale. Some people don't have a price. And, and Naboth was one of those guys. You know, so we read in verse 5, what ended up happening is after Naboth said no, it, it's kind of funny. Don't you guys think it's kind of funny how um, you know, this whole thing happened? He goes home sullen, displeased. He doesn't eat. He just kind of plops himself down on the bed and... Uh, and he just faces the wall. You know, you can almost picture him there sucking his thumb kind of thing. I mean, it's just a weird, you know, picture of a king going through that. And it says right here that, that he's sullen. This is a word we see a few times regarding King Ahab back in chapter 20, verse 43. Notice it says right there, the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased. Here he's sullen again. Jezebel, his wife, will describe him as a sullen man. And the word means to be bummed, gloomy. It speaks of someone who just sulks, right? And uh, it, it's definitely not a description of royalty. It's not a description of maturity. It's a description really of immaturity. It's like a kid, not a king. It's like a kid who doesn't get his way. You know, for some, I think the word no is just so hard to hear because they're used to getting everything they want. And, you know, we just, we just really need to be careful, you guys. We need to be okay with the word no, you know, to our will. You know, and God's ways are higher. We don't know sometimes why he says no. We think, well, Lord, this makes so much sense. And this is perfect. It's right here by my summer palace. And, it's a vineyard, and I want to put a, a garden there, whatever your you know, reasoning is. And, and, you know, God says no, or someone says no. And, you know, we don't have to go around and get all bummed out because God's still on the throne. But here we see the king, he doesn't, he doesn't really like the word no. And I think we have to be okay with that. We really have to be okay with that. You know, I know how it is. Sometimes you get your eyes on something and, and you know, you're like, I want that. You know, and you, you pretend like you pray about it. <laughs> but, you know, you just, you just make it happen. You know, especially for some of us guys here, 
You know, if we want something, you know, we, we, you know it's almost like you get obsessed with it and, uh, and you really don't pray about it. And uh, I think that I, for some of us here, once we get our hearts set on something, um, it's hard to, to hear the word no. That was where Ahab was. And we're going to see that that covetousness within his heart, it created so much chaos. It, it just ruined so many things. We need to be so careful. You know, you might have the money, but that doesn't mean God wants you to have those things. Besides, ultimately, it's God's money. It's just like the land right here. The land, whose land is it really? It, it's the Lord's land, right? It's the Lord's land. And, and, and Naboth knew, well, I can't sell it. You know, the Bible says, Leviticus twenty-five, twenty-three: the land shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine. We read that passage earlier. And so anyways, that's what happens, but look what happens next. In verse 5, it says, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and, and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel's wife said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food. Arise, eat food. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels, before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. You know, and you read that as a heavy, heavy plan, right? Ahab has a hard time with the word no, but apparently his wife has an even harder time with the word no. You know, Ahab kind of accepts it childishly, but Jezebel doesn't accept it at all, not for a moment. And she tells her husband, and to me, it's almost like the devil, you know, the devil telling, telling us, you know, you're, 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 you're you. You know, you're the king or you're whoever, you know, we all think so, a lot of times so highly of ourselves. And in, in one sense it's good, it's one good sense it's good to think that you're God's favorite. How many of you here think that? I'm God's favorite, right? <laughs> but in one sense, you have to also be careful with that. You know, well, you're, the, you, you're, you're, the, you're the king. Okay, we'll just use Ahab now. You're the king. You exercise authority over the nation of Israel. Get up, fill up, cheer up. <laughs> I'm going to take care of this, right? Warren Wiersbe said, Jezebel was a resolute woman who never allowed the truth to stand in the way of what she wanted so she fabricated an official lie on official stationery sealed with an official seal to seal the murder of Naboth to get him out of the way, to get them out of getting in the way. And you know, when you read this right here, to make matters worse, it's kind of crazy how she uses the law of the Lord, you know, a time of fasting in her sinister scheme she sends the letters to the elders of Jezreel and commands them to proclaim a fast to set Naboth at the seat of high honor 
And then put a couple of scoundrels. We don't use that word too much anymore, huh? scoundrels, but I kind of like it, scoundrels, and next to him, and, and then just tell him the lie, witness against him, say that they heard Naboth blaspheme God and the king. And so she kind of uses like a religious backdrop, you know, a fast and seat of honor. And, you know, um, you know there's got to be two or three witnesses because that's what the Bible says. And, you know, the Bible says that if you blaspheme God, then, you know, you must be put to death. We read that in Leviticus 24, 16. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall be put to death. And so she's basing this really on the Bible, Right? And uh, Deuteronomy 17, 6, you know, you have to have two or three witnesses. And so, you know, they did what Jezebel requested. We read in verse 11. And so the men of his city, the elders and nobles who were inhabitants of his city, they did as Jezebel had sent to them, as it was written in the letters which they had sent to them. And they proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth with high honor among the people and two men, scoundrels, came in and sat before him. And the scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. And they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones that he died. And then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. You know, and you read this right here, and I don't know for sure. I mean, you know, maybe the word got out that King Ahab had come and requested this land. Naboth said no. And so maybe, and I'm speculating here, but maybe, you know, people thought, well, I'll bet you Naboth has a little something against Ahab. Because for some reason, they all believe this lie that, you know, um, Naboth had spoken blasphemies against the king and blasphemies against a god. I don't know for sure, you know. Uh, all we know is that, you know, we've got these guys right here, multiple people involved on the inside. And you know how it is, how frequently people will follow a crowd. Notice again there in verse 11, the men of the city, the elders and nobles. So you've got the men, the elders, the nobles, the inhabitants of the city, they did as Jezebel had sent them, sent to them. So there's got a lot of a group of guys doing this. And so when you got a crowd, it's a lot easier for the rest to follow. Right? And so they're thinking, well, it must be true. This guy blasphemed God, he blasphemed the king. And so they went out and they killed an innocent man at, at the plan of Jezebel. You know, Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, evil men could never succeed were it not for weak people who obey their orders. You know, and it's true. Here we have Jezebel and Ahab. What could they do were it not for these other people who were weak in their heart? No character, no integrity. You know, we know we read things like this throughout the scripture. I remember Saul you guys remember when he went to the city of Nob and, you know, um, Saul said, kill the priests, 85 priests. Even the soldiers wouldn't do it. But he found this one guy, Doeg. He said, Doeg, you're the one who told me about David and meeting with this guy. And, and Doeg went, this terrible man. He went and did the king's dirty work. 
We don't have to do that. We shouldn't do that. You know, we read of individuals like Hitler. Where would Hitler be without the weak men or the Mussolinis of this world or the Saddam Husseins? That's what we see going on here. You know, that's what kings do when they have that place. You know, Samuel warned against it. You know how kings would come and they would take your, 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 your lands? Samuel warned against it. Jesus uh, taught against it. He said, when you become a leader, be a servant. Be a servant. You know, go and you, and you vacuum and you clean the toilets and you stay up late or, you know, do whatever you have to do. You know, be a servant. You don't have to get paid a lot, just a little bit. All you need is a, enough to get by. That's all. You know, I mean, a lot of times we have it inverted. Here we see Ahab, he, he as Jezebel, they have it backwards. You know, it's not about what we can get. It, it's about what we can give. You know, but anyways, they, they go through this whole thing, these guys following these wicked leaders. Um, they let Jezebel know, hey, Naboth's dead. And so we read in, in verse 15, and it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And so it was when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. And I don't know, you know, it's kind of interesting reading that right there. You don't hear of a certain conversations that probably should take place. Again, you know, Naboth is, is, is dead. Look again, arise, she says, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but is, is dead. Now, if you were Ahab, what, what would you, like, say? I mean, wouldn't you say, like, whoa, you know, what happened? How, he, how'd he die? Did you have anything to do with it, Jezebel? But he doesn't. He doesn't say anything. He just goes, okay. And he goes and he gets his, his stupid garden. He gets his garden. Now he can grow his tomatoes, his potatoes, his jalapenos, his habaneros, right? What? And this guy dies. You know, there's not a conversation going on. He, he's, he's, as a leader... He doesn't have any sense of responsibility whatsoever. He doesn't. He should have found out, well, what did you do, wife? What did you do, wife? When Eve sinned, what did Adam do? Followed, huh? And that's how it all started. No offense, ladies. Um, Ananias and Sapphira working together. You know, when I read this right here, there's a lot of lessons for us. All I know is that these conversations that need to take place, they didn't take place. King Ahab doesn't ask how Naboth died. He doesn't ask if, you know, Jezebel had anything to do with his death. And I just think, there's no doubt, Ahab knew his wife was responsible for the death of this man, but 
I really believe, and I think we deceive ourselves into thinking, we figure that, you know what, if I don't really know what happened, you know, then I can use ignorance as an excuse. I can get off the hook, and I can get my garden. You know, maybe he wanted to believe that the Lord had blessed him with the gardens. And all I'm saying is that, you guys, for us, I think that um, what ends up happening is when you turn away from the truth, it's evidence that you're believing lies. And when you start believing lies, you start loving lies. And when you start loving lies, before you know it, you're controlled by lies. And that's what had happened to Ahab and Jezebel. We're going to see, and I, I, I think Jezebel, she's like totally like the girl from hell. She's totally demonic. She's like a perfect picture of the devil. And I think Ahab is a perfect picture of all of us. Because if you study the life of Ahab, what you find is that this guy, you know, he had potential and it just seems like even though he ended up being the worst king, we're going to even see it today, we see little glimpses of, you know, God working in his life. But there wasn't that absolute surrender. You know, and I have to examine my own life, and I think you guys, you know, we all could do that, should do that. You know, do we have that absolute surrender to the Lord tonight? I mean, are we fully His? You know? And for those of us who are leaders... Are we, you know, really taking that leadership seriously? You know, because, you know, one day you'll give an account of the leadership of your family. If you're a husband with a family, you'll give an account of the leadership of that ministry. You know, sometimes as a leader of a ministry, you might even want to just kind of chillax, but you can't. You can't, because God put you there, and God gave you a responsibility. You don't go beyond it, but you don't go behind it. And Ahab, he was, he was just giving it to his wife. And we're going to see here that Elijah, when Elijah is sent, he doesn't go to the wife. He goes to the husband. He goes to the leader. See, leaders, it's kind of interesting. Leaders are responsible for what they initiate and leaders are responsible for what they allow. And right here we see Ahab, he's responsible for what he initiates, which isn't much, but he's primarily responsible and accountable for what he allowed to take place. And we're going to see it's a heavy, heavy sentence. So anyways, Ahab starts mapping out his garden. He probably goes over there and says, okay, I know what I'll do here is I'll, you know, break down this uh, fallow ground and, uh, oh, I just can't wait for those habaneros. You know, have you guys ever tried those? They're so good. I gave them to my neighbor because I was mad at him. No, I'm just joking. I... <laughs> you know, um, he's mapping it out. He's looking over his, his land He's saying to himself, man, I can't wait for the harvest, right? But there was another harvest he probably should have been more concerned about. 
And that is the one described in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, where the Bible says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he shall also reap. That's the law of the Lord, that if I plant bad seeds then I will, I will reap the harvest of those bad seeds. It's inevitable. I can't get around it. I wish I could. If you think you can, then you are deceived. So the Bible says, don't be deceived. And so, you know, we have to be so careful not to plant seeds of sin. Anything that would, you know, go against God's law, sins of commission, sins of omission, really encourage you today, man, to hate sin. Because whatever we plant, we're going to reap. Perhaps King Ahab thought he got the garden for free. You know, little did he know the price he would have to pay. Because the Bible says that the, the wages of sin is death. You know, some might play along with our sin. Others don't know about our sin. But God won't play along with it. And God knows all about it. Right here, I think Ahab thought he was, he was now is going to be on easy street. And, uh, and we're going to see it's not. Now, I also got to share this with you guys because uh, I don't want to, you know, confuse you. Um, the context here is defiant sin. It's rebellious sin. It's, you know, persistent sin. You know, when you don't care about God, you don't care about God, you don't care about others. You know, if you don't care like that, then that's what we're talking about. But, you know, for some of us here, I might even say for most of us here, you guys coming out on a night like tonight when you could have been out there shopping and, and doing other things. Uh, God brought you by His Spirit. I believe that's actually a good sign um, for a lot of us here. I, I want to make sure it's clear that we still sin. We fail every day. We still sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm, we're not okay with that, but we do. But here's the difference. You know, We have that grace salvation, forgiveness that carries us as his children every day all the way to heaven. So we have that. We have that peace with God as his kids. But all I'm saying is that when you go into sin with eyes wide open, it's called the presumptuous sin. You know, defiant sin, insistent sin, persistent sin, you don't care type of sin. It's then that you really have to really pay attention to this chapter because God wants to warn us. You know, he really does. And for some of us here, we're going to be warned maybe. And for others, maybe you're going to be a warner. And that's a really good place to be. For those who resist the work of the Spirit, to those who refuse and choose to live their lives without God and the gift of salvation found in Christ, then one day they're going to stand on their own righteousness and they will not be able to stand because God's judgment will fall upon them. And that's what ends up happening with Ahab. Look at verse 17. It says, And then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel who lives in Samaria. 
There he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked the blood of Naboth, dogs shall lick your blood, even yours. And so the Lord now raises up Elijah. The last time we saw him was when he had anointed Elisha as his successor in chapter 19. But now the word of the Lord comes to him and, and sends him to Ahab. And one of the things that's kind of cool is the Lord tells him, this is what I want you to say. And for those of us that are teachers, that's a, a really good prayer to pray. God, give me the words. Because one day we as teachers, maybe with a prophet with a small p, we're going to give an account for every word we say. God's going to give us a stricter judgment. I love the way the Lord says to Elijah, you shall speak to him thus. This is what I want you to say. And so God sends him as a messenger, and Elijah is like not even hesitating, man. No hesitations, no reservations. He goes, and he finds the king. And we read in verse 20, So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? I answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring calamity on you. I will take away your posterity, that's your family, your descendants. I will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Hijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel sin. And concerning Jezebel, the dogs also the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. So this is a heavy, heavy sentence, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's one thing, like, you're going to, like, let's just say, you know, you're going to go to hell. Okay, that's... That's, that's heavy. <laughs> but it's one to say, not only are you going to go to hell, uh, dogs are going to eat you. You know, you are going to die. They're going to lick up your blood. I mean, we're going to see later when Jezebel does die, you know, uh, she gets thrown out the window. She's got all this makeup on. She's crazy, man, one of those ladies. And, uh, and the, you know, the, 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 the king's all, you know what, go bury her. After all, she was, you know, the queen. And by the time they get down there, all they see is her is a few bones. Because the, the dogs, they ate her. They ate her. Why? Because of her, her wickedness, because of her sin. You know, and it's just a it's a heavy warning. It's sad, it's so sad in verse 20 to see the way that Ahab considers Elijah his enemy. You know, back in chapter 18, verse 17, he called Elijah the troubler of Israel. Now he calls him his enemy. And in all reality, Elijah is not the source of trouble. Neither is he the you know, enemy. He's actually a source of help. 
He's actually an ally. When someone comes to you and says, you know what, you're off. How many people will, will receive a rebuke? How many people will say, yeah, you, you, you think so? No, it's like, man, there's this, this defense mechanisms. I can't be off. Not me. I'm the king. Or I'm, and you just fill in the blank. You can be. You can be. Elijah's not the enemy. He's the ally. Elijah's not the troubler. He's the helper. And when the Lord points out areas of our life when we're off, a lot of times we just resist that convicting work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And let me tell you something. It's, it's just no good. It really isn't. You know, Warren Risby said, by fighting against the Lord... Ahab was his own enemy and brought upon himself the sentence that Elijah pronounced. You know, it's interesting to read what Elijah says about Ahab. Notice again there in verse 20, it says, So Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? And he answered, I have found you because you have sold yourself to do evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, it's interesting, in the previous chapter, Ahab allowed a man to live who should have died. But now he, he, he kills a man who should have lived. What's happened to him? Isaiah 5.20, you're calling evil good and good evil. Why? Why? How could that happen? Because he sold himself to do evil. What does that mean? You sold yourself to do evil. You know, I remember, how many of you guys have seen the videos of the rock stars? They say, hey, you sold his soul to the devil, right? I don't think that's what it means right here. I think what it means is you have become a slave to sin. It's not the Lord leading your life anymore. It's not God. It's not his word. Now what's ended up happening that the Bible says in Romans 7.14 that you're sold under sin. Romans 6.16, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. One guy said that Ahab no longer had freedom of action. He sold himself to obey his master and his master now was sin. You know, the slave to sin was then sentenced by God severely, and God was going to wipe out his family like the house of Jeroboam and Baasha. And you read about them in 1 Kings 15, verse 29, 1 Kings 16, 11, and 12. Kind of the same thing, man. The Lord just, man, you guys... Your whole family is going to suffer as a result of this. They're going to be completely annihilated and you, you're going to be, you know, killed. Dogs are going to eat you and they're going to lick up your, your blood. And, and the Lord followed through with his threats. You know, Ahab's descendants felt the brunt of his sin. And this is a quick side note, you guys, um, that for us as leaders especially, you know, we have that heavy responsibility. You know, our family, our family will suffer. And so I want to encourage you, you know, like, um, you know, not to, not to beat yourself up, not to, 
look back and say, well, look at all the bad seeds I've planted. Yeah, we still have to reap what we've sown. You know, God will forgive you. You know, um, but we still have to, to, to reap the consequences of forgiven sin. You know, that's still the law of the Lord. He's very gracious, however. But my encouragement to you, I guess, is this. Start planting good seeds. Start planting good seeds. Start, you know, really living lives of obedience and, and humility and getting into the Word and, and getting on your knees. I think for us as Americans... Probably one of the, the biggest problems we have is we are, or we're, we're, we're so busy. We're so busy that we don't spend time with the Lord the way that we should, and we're not, we're not hearing His voice. We're not receiving His power. You know, and we're just bouncing off the walls. Uh, have you guys ever heard that acronym, B-U-S-Y, busy? It stands for being under Satan's yoke. You know, and, and that's what happens a lot of times. You know, the Lord already showed me, because I had a vacation in December, and during that vacation, I didn't really get a lot of the things done that I wanted to get done. I wanted to paint the house and, you know, fix the car and just different things, and I, and I didn't. My wife still loves me, thank God. <laughs> but during my vacation, and I was telling Henry about this earlier, what I did was I looked, I looked at my schedule. I took a long look at my schedule and what I want to do next year, and how I really want to make sure that the priority of my life is, is my relationship with God and reading and praying personally and with my family or my kids. Because my kids, man, they're going to get married soon. Probably, huh? That's what Ariel's, uh, she's, gosh, she's going to be 20 years old. I'm thinking, Lord, it could happen soon. Lord, give us a few more years together, please. And, you know, all I know is that in this world that we live in, in America, um, a lot of us are struggling because we're not spending that time with the Lord. And I want to encourage you to do that. But remember that spending time with the Lord in and of itself is not sufficient. You can't say, okay, I want today, I read and prayed for an hour. No, because what's that? That's a stimulation now to go and to do what? To live a life of obedience. To love. To walk with the Lord all day long. Right? I want to encourage you in that. Hate sin. We look back, and I know we've blown it, and I'm not taking it lightly. We planted some bad seeds. But now, what we've got to do is we've got to plant good seeds. That's what this chapter is about. It's not just about... You know, beating you up. It's about lifting you up and encouraging you and telling you, you know, if you live that life, yeah, of course, you're going to suffer the consequences, but, but don't live that life. Don't live like, you know, Ahab who was a slave to sin, who sold himself to sin. No, that's not the life that we're to live. You know, here we see something interesting Look what happens in verse 25. There was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And he behaved very abominably, abominably I won't even try saying that word, in following idols according to all that the Amorites had done whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. We read in chapter 16, verse 30, about this guy Ahab. 
He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So he was, he was pretty bad, right? But the interesting thing, notice again here in verse 25, notice the reason. It says, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Is that interesting to you, wives here today? No. Husbands, is that possible? Can that really happen? Now, Ahab's responsible, but here a reason, a a biblical reason is given. And we saw that today, how a Jezebel was behind this whole thing. Of course, there's a massive lesson here in who you choose as husband or wife and how you function as husband and wife. We need to invest into our spouses and into our marriages. As husbands, we need to feed and lead our wives in the ways of the Lord We can't follow our spouses into sin. So be careful with that. Really be careful, you guys. You know, sometimes we'll, and I've seen it over the years, and I'm going to hurry because I don't want to finish late today, but, you know, I've seen it over the years where some husbands, they're they're maybe they're hand-packed husbands, or maybe sometimes I've seen it just because they don't want to really create any friction whatsoever in, in their life and in their marriage, you see the wife just dominate. And sometimes you, you think, you look at that guy and you're thinking, you know what, I think that he could be, maybe, he, you see his heart, it seems good, but somehow it got tweaked, it got messed up. Now, again, that can happen the other way too, right? Amen? Right? Guys can do that to their wives. And that's why it's so important for both of you to be on the same page husband and wife, loving the Lord. And when the Bible says in Ecclesiastes 4, two are better than one because if one falls, there's the other to do what? Kick him. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) When one falls, there's the other to do what? To lift up his companion. See? Jezebel here is is a warning, you know, and not an excuse, but it was a reason so we have to guard ourselves. What ends up happening in the end, verse 27, so it was, when Ahab heard those words that he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his body, and fasted and lay in sackcloth. That means he slept in sackcloth. Think about that. And he went about mourning. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the calamity in his days. In the days of his son, I will bring the calamity on his house. Now, why does God bring the calamity on his son? Because of his son's sin. Yeah, now Ahab did probably have to do with that. He probably influenced his son. But in the end, God won't punish the son for the sins of the parents. What happens here? What we find right here is that in in one sense, God forgave Ahab. God forgave him. His son, unfortunately, still followed in his bad footsteps, but God forgave him. And the cool thing is that God will forgive us. We know ultimately Ahab didn't follow the Lord. We see him go up and down and all around. Warren Worsby said, Ahab humbled himself before God, but it wasn't probably for the right reason. You know, not because he felt the burden of his sin, 
but more than likely he felt the burden of his sentence. And there's a big difference. You know, I want to encourage you guys today, um, you know, just to humble yourself. I, I speak to myself included. I'm reading through the prophets right now as we close the Old Testament. And, you know, one of the things you find when you're reading through the prophets is all about the Lord just saying, you know, because of your sin, you guys, Israel, Judah, whoever it is, Moab, Edom, he pronounces judgment on the whole wide world. I'm going to judge you. I'm going to judge you. But my people, I will spare. I'm going to discipline you, right? And so for me, when I'm reading through the prophets, I'm always just, Lord, <laughs> I'm always saying this, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, Lord. I, I know what I deserve. But have mercy on me, Lord, because, because I'm your son. And the Lord says, cool, I'll do business with you, mijo. But you have to make sure you get your own, your own life right. It's kind of like you're riding your bike, right? How long has it been since you rode your bike? A long time? I remember when I was in Almani, I ride the streets of Almani. When you were a kid in Almani, you rode your bike everywhere, huh? I don't see that nowadays, man, but back then it was everywhere. And I used to put the balloons in our spokes. Did you guys ever do that? So it sounded like a motorcycle. You guys didn't do that? I remember those days. So you're riding your bike, you're riding your bike, and you're riding against the wind. You're riding against the wind, and it's so hard. It's so hard. You know, have you ever been like the wind is really against you? And some people think that that's how it is with God. Like I'm, I'm riding, and just God is just so against me. It's so hard. You know what God's saying? Turn around. Repent. Change. You know, if you turn around, then you want, what happens? That same wind that you thought was against you, you're going to find that, that that same wind is actually, is actually for you. And the problem is not that God changes directions, but that we do. And I, and I pray that we would, you guys. Anyone here, any areas of our life that have not been surrendered to the Lord, I pray that tonight we would surrender everything, completely lay it all down to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to study your word. And Lord, just what a blessing, Lord, it is to be with you. To know, Lord, that you are not against us, that you are for us. Always, Lord, just thank you for that promise, Lord. And I pray that tonight, Lord, in my own life and in the life of my brothers and sisters, Lord, that we will just take your word and plant it in our hearts, whether it has to do with uh, marriage or things going on, Lord, hearing the word no, I mean, just whatever it is, Lord, but especially areas that, that need to change. God, I pray that you would give us the grace. Do a work tonight in our hearts, Lord, as we, uh, as we long. Sometimes we look out and we, and we feel and we just kind of know that maybe, maybe something's missing and we know it's, it's not you that's left. It's a lot of times it's us where we've kind of drifted away. And so, Lord, I pray we come back. I pray, Lord, that please, by your grace and mercy, you would do a new work in every beautiful heart here tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for all these things. 
And we pray together in Jesus' name. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.